The people of God said amen. 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 It is indeed a blessing to be in the house of the Lord just one more time. Uh, We uh, never take it lightly that God has given uh, you and me another opportunity to worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, My Bible tells me that his grace is always sufficient and his mercies are new every morning, that God never gives us leftover mercies. And so today, uh, we thank God for his grace and his mercy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, the scripture has already been read in your hearing, and I must say that um, in light of what has happened over these past couple of days in El Paso, uh, Texas, as well as in Dayton, Ohio, uh, my heart is very heavy Uh, this morning. Uh, I'm grieving and I stand in solidarity with the families uh, in El Paso as well as in Dayton, Ohio. Um, Somebody got up this morning uh, and uh, when they looked in their bed to the right, their spouse wasn't there. Um, A mother or father woke up this morning and went to the bedroom to see the child Uh, only to be reminded that they're not there. Uh, A grandmother, a grandfather, uh, who cherishes their grandchildren, uh, were awakened to the news that uh, their grandchild or their grandson uh, was shot and killed. And so, uh, just like me, I know that your hearts are heavy as well. You cannot watch the news and read the paper and not be gripped with grief and uh, with uh, some sense of despair. And uh, so our hearts go out to uh, those families uh, in El Paso, Texas, as well as in Dayton, Ohio, uh, that uh, injustice anywhere, as Dr. King said, is a threat to justice everywhere. And so let us be in prayer for for those families. The question uh, comes today, is there a word from the Lord? And I think it's so applicable that uh, this particular passage of scripture uh, is is shared on this particular Sunday after so much that has transpired. Uh, The scripture has already been read in your hearing and uh, we're on the sixth Uh, I am statement of Jesus Christ. And every time Jesus says, I am, he's declaring his deity. He's declaring that he is God the Son. Uh, And what John is trying to help us to see throughout the gospel is that uh, it's not enough just to know about Jesus. It's not enough just to know of Jesus, but we must all have a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And so uh, in John chapter 1, John tells us that the law uh, came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so that theme of grace and that theme of truth uh, is is throughout the book of uh, Gospel of John, Jesus is declaring that he is the truth in this particular passage of scripture. So what does that say to us today as we grapple with what has happened? 
Um, and sometimes life seems to be out of control. Sometimes life is beyond uh, our locus of control. And we have to trust in the sovereignty of God, uh, even when we don't understand uh, what is happening. And such is the case in uh, John chapter 14. John chapter 13, Jesus tells the disciples that he's getting ready to depart. He has spent three and a half years with these 12 men, and uh, they have been with him 24 hours a day. Uh, they have watched him perform miracles. They've watched him walk on water. They've watched him heal the sick, give sight to the blind, feed those who are hungry. And now Jesus is saying, I'm getting ready to depart. And scripture tells us in John chapter 13 that Peter pulls Jesus aside. When Jesus talks about, I'm getting ready to go to the cross, I'm going to die, and in three days I will rise again, Peter pulls Jesus aside and gives Jesus a piece of his mind. And he says to, to Jesus, Lord, this ain't going to happen. I will lay down my life before you die. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you're more concerned about the things of men than you are about the things of God. He says, get behind me, Satan. And so Peter is the first one to kind of uh, just kind of, you know, Peter has a way of speaking first and thinking second. <laughs> Amen. There's some people in our lives like that. Amen. But Peter speaks up, and then when we get to John chapter 14, uh, the disciples have just been told by Jesus that he's getting ready to depart. Uh, Jesus has already told, told Peter in the midst of the disciples that, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will de have denied me three times. Uh, he also tells the, the disciples that all of you will scatter like sheep. You will abandon me. Uh, he has also said that there's one of you amongst me, amongst us who will betray me. And the one who dips his hand into the basin, into the cup, uh, is the one who will betray me. So they've heard all of this, this news or this reality of what Jesus is saying and proclaiming in their midst. But then Jesus says in John 14, after they are gripped with worry, that they are gripped with uh, emotional, that they are grieving, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled, be disturbed. Do not let your hearts be, be worried. Believe in God, believe also in me. And Jesus speaks reassurance into their lives. And he goes on to say, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. 
So we see here in Jesus, Jesus is basically telling his disciples that he's departing and he's going back to the Father without them. He also tells them that, you know, one of them is going to betray him. But Jesus promises his disciples in the midst of uncertainty and worry that he's coming back for them. And that while he's gone, he's preparing a place for them. And Jesus, that heaven, for Jesus, heaven is a real place. It's not a hypothetical place. It's a real place. And Jesus is preparing this place for his disciples. He's preparing this, this place for his followers. He says they will be reunited with him in his father's house. And I would think the disciples would feel encouraged at this point. Jesus is casting vision and trying to help them to see what he sees. He's trying to help them to see the big picture of redemption, but all they can see is a snapshot. He's trying to help them to see the vital relationship between himself and the Father. And in essence, he's trying to show them that having faith in the Father entails having faith in Jesus as the one whom God has sent. One of the striking things about John chapter 14, 1 through 14, is that the word Father is mentioned 13 times. And throughout the Gospel of John, the word Father is mentioned over a hundred times. And throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is constantly saying to the disciples, I do those things that please my Father. He says, I don't say anything unless the Father tells me to say it. I don't perform any miracle unless the Father tells me to do it. I don't go to this city or that city unless the Father orders my steps. Jesus is saying in this passage, I am so into the Father and the Father is so into me. Jesus is saying, he's declaring that uh, when you've seen him, you have seen the Father. Now, the disciples never got this. They didn't really understand. Jesus kept saying it, kept, kept making the state, these statements, these father-son relationship statements and they still don't quite get it. I like the way Henry Blackaby said it. He said it best when he stated that spiritual leadership at its best is to help people get on God's agenda. To help people get, get on God's agenda. This is in essence what Jesus is trying to do with his disciples. He's trying to help Peter get on God's agenda because at this point, Peter is not really, he's not feeling Jesus right now. Um, we see this in chapter 13, even when Jesus uh, washes the disciples' feet and he gets to Peter and Peter said, no, Lord, that's not going to happen. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, if I can't wash your feet, then I don't want to have anything to do you do with you. And then Peter says, Lord, if you put it that way, you can wash my whole body. <laughs> and so Peter and Philip and Thomas, they're not feeling what Jesus is saying right now. And as we will see in the next verses, the disciples, uh, namely Thomas and Peter, they all, they're being called out quite a bit in John, John's gospel, and they've gotten their agenda confused with God's agenda. 
And therefore, they haven't come to the full realization who Jesus is. And I wonder if that's the case in many of our churches throughout this land and country today, is that many times we get our agenda confused with God's agenda. That we, we have a tendency, some of us are strong-willed Christians, and we, we want to have our way, we want to do things our way. And we get our agenda, we think, we ask God to bless me, bless my ministry. Well, we've messed up right there whenever we tell God to bless my ministry. Because if you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have a ministry. It's his ministry. Amen, somebody. I like the way Andrew Purvis said, said it. He said that the best thing that we can do about my ministry, our ministry, is to kill it. Because we, we, we've got to lay our so-called ministry at the foot of Jesus. We've got to lay our agenda at the foot of Jesus and allow Jesus to resurrect the ministry and entrust it to his care. Sometimes we wonder why the ministry that we have uh, is not going the way that it should because we haven't given it to Jesus we have a tendency to have, especially in the Western church, a, an infatual, infatualization with the entrepreneurial spirit of the church. That every one of us want to have our own ministry, our non, own nonprofit agency, our own ministry. And Jesus said, that ministry is not yours. The gifts that you have, the talents that you have, they belong to me. And so we must entrust the ministry God has given, given to our care. We must give it back to him and let him do with it what he will. The question comes today, are you, are you trying to impose your agenda on God? Because God doesn't, God, God doesn't submit himself to our agendas. But we must submit ourselves to his agenda. This, this is probably the, the case with, with Thomas and, and with Philip. Look at what Thomas says in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we don't know where you are going. How do we know the way? Thomas is really saying to Jesus, uh, Jesus, what, what's the address to the Father's place? How do we get there? He's asking a logistical question, Lord. We don't know the way. And what Thomas is really saying, he's thinking in the, in the physical. He's thinking in the literal. And Jesus is saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this has been a very controversial statement. Jesus is emphatically saying I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And church history is replete with men and women who espouse, who, say, who continue to believe this, and we believe it today, but we just know in our society that there are others who say, well, Jesus is one of the ways, he's... 
There's some who say that all religions lead to God. That all religions, whether you're Hindu or Buddhist or whatever religion you are, there are some who espouse that all religions lead, lead to God. But Jesus is, this, is declaring the exclusivity of Christianity, that Jesus is the only way to the Father. That he is the only truth and the only life and no one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus said it. And if Jesus said it, then we, we, we have to come to grips with that. I can remember years ago at the former church that I pastored that there was a young lady who joined the church from Berlin, Germany. She joined the church on one Sunday and I was excited to see this young lady join the church and, and we, we got her into a new members class and she uh, we, she began to sit in that class and, and one of the deacons of the church said in one of the classes, he expounds on this particular passage and said that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And she disagreed with him and that next Monday I got an email from her and saying, Pastor, I have a problem. Your deacon is saying that Jesus is the only way. I don't agree with that. I believe that men, there are many roads that lead to Jesus, that lead to God. And Jesus is one of many ways. And I had to say to her in a pastorly way uh, that we believe as Christians that this is a part of the Christian doctrine that Jesus is the only way to the Father. That he is the truth, that he is the life. And, and she respectfully disagreed with me and she, as a result of that she did not join the church. But I had to let her know what we believe and even to this day there have been times that I've reached out to her to find out how she's doing. This is what we believe, brothers and sisters. This is what we believe as a part of our Christian doctrine that Jesus is the only way to the Father. For John to say this, use the word Father 13 times in verses 1 through 14, and over 100 times in the Gospel of John, tells us something about Jesus' relationship to the Father, that Jesus is God, but Jesus is the Son of God, and that Jesus is so much into the Father, and the Father is so much into the Son, and that Jesus is the one who, who adequately declares that he is the way. He is the way to the Father. And brothers and sisters, we've got to come to grips with that in this 21st century. We've got to come to grips with the fact that there's a, there's a Thomas in each and every one of us. There's a little bit of Thomas in each and every one of us. And we got to come to grips with the fact of Jesus, that Jesus is who he say he is. He says in verse 7, if you know me, you will know my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Now, here's another character, Philip. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and we'll be satisfied. Philip must have been from Missouri. He must have been from the show me state. Amen. 
Philip said, Lord, if, if you just show us the Father, if you just show us what he looks like, if you just allow us to see the Father in his glory. <laughs> Jesus said to him, now Jesus gets an attitude with Philip. Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen, seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. I think there's a little bit of Philip in each and every one of us that we want God to show us a sign. And Jesus is saying, have you been a Christian for so long and you still don't know who I am? Have I been walking with you for so long? Have, have you been in Sunday school for so long? Have you been coming to church for so long? Have you been serving in ministry for so long and you still don't know who I am? Sometimes we let what we do for the Lord separate us from the Lord. And Jesus says, I, I want you to put what you do for me after what you do with me and spending time with me. Brothers and sisters, let us not fall into this slippery slope of not knowing who Jesus is, not just knowing about him, not just knowing of him, but to have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So we see here, Jesus is trying to help them to understand who he is. Thomas and Philip have failed to realize that Jesus' entire ministry has been a re revelation of the Father's presence, of the Father's will, and of his power, especially his power to restore and give life. They have watched Jesus walk on water. They have watched Jesus feed 5,000 with some loaves of bread and fish. They have watched Jesus give sight to the blind. They have watched Jesus heal those who are sick. He, they have watched Jesus do all of these works that point to who Jesus is. That he is, the, that he is related to the Father and that he is an expression of the Father. And so brothers and sisters, I, I, I want to encourage you today, wanna, I want you to understand that your relationship with Jesus Christ sets the tone for every other relationship you have. Because what Philip and Thomas, what they, what they fail to realize and what Jesus is trying to help them to see is that right belief and right behavior goes hand in hand. That we cannot believe something about God and it not affect our behavior. That's what the song that the children were singing, put it there, put it there, and put it there. Because our vertical relationship with the Father should make, make its way down into the citadel of our hearts. And then 
it should express itself in how we relate to one another and how we relate to people who don't even know his name. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I am the way. There's no other way to the Father. I am the truth. I am the true expression of who the Father is. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Really what Jesus is saying is that truth is a state of mind. We see this in John chapter 8 when Jesus is talking to the disciples. He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Not only truth is truth a state of mind, but truth is a state of a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. That when we think of the truth, think of Jesus. When we think of truth, think of, think of being in a relationship with Jesus that many times we, we don't want to be in a relationship with the truth because truth to many of us is subjective and we used, often use the phrase, speak your truth. Speak your truth and we all have a subjective, a personal truth, but what this passage is saying is there is a truth outside of us. There is an objective truth and there is a truth and truth is personified in Jesus Christ. Truth is a relationship. Truth is a state of reality. This is what this passage is, is saying, is that saying to every proverbial Thomas and Philip that truth is a state of reality. Then we, when we really know who Jesus is, then we understand who we are. When we really grasp that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, that we are image bearers, uh, that our truth, that we are not, our identity is not rooted in our, our ethnicity. Our identity is not rooted in our sexuality. Our identity is rooted in Jesus Christ. Real truth always leads to real freedom. Freedom is not to do what you want to do, but true freedom is doing what you ought to do. It's to do what you ought to do, what God has called you to do, and what God has designed you to do, that the chief end of man is to love God and to enjoy him forever. Jesus is, always, is also saying that truth can stand on its own. Truth don't have to be propped up by any of our ideologies. Truth can stand on its own. And this is what Jesus is saying to the disciples because he knows that he's getting ready to depart and they, they really need to understand this truth thing. They really need to understand uh, who the Father is uh, because Jesus says, I'm pointing you to the Father and everything that I do is in relationship to the Father. He goes on to say, because we begin to see a progression of thought in this passage, we begin to see that Jesus is helping them to see that it's expedient that I go away because you, you're going to be able to do, do some greater things because in this body that I'm in, is what Jesus is saying, I, I can only do but so much in, in ministry. I can only heal but so many, but when I go to the Father, 
You're going to be able to do some greater things. You're going to be able to turn some things around. You're going to, your, your reach is going to go beyond Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. You're going to go to the uttermost parts of the world, and it's expedient that I go away. And Jesus is saying to them, just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I like the way Stephen Siemens uh, states in this book called Ministry in the Image of God. He talks about the missio dei, the image, the mission of God. And he says, God is therefore in his very essence a missionary God. The father is the first missionary who goes out of himself in creating the world and sending the son for our salvation. The son is a second, is second missionary. It's the second missionary who redeems humanity and all creation through his life, death, resurrection, and exaltation. He goes on to say that the Holy Spirit is the third missionary who creates and empowers the church. And the church is the fourth missionary to go into the world. So the missionary activity of the church started with God through the Son, by the Spirit, and into the church. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is that I'm sending you out in the 21st century to speak hope to this world, to speak grace to this world, to speak, to declare love and grace and mercy to this world. This is what he's saying to the disciples and this is what he's saying to us today. Dr. King said that we have misguided men and guided missiles. He said this in the, in the 1960s. He said, we have allowed our scientific power to outrun our spiritual power. And no doubt, this, this week, this weekend, we've seen some misguided men. We've seen a misguided man who makes his way from Allen, Texas, all the way down to El Paso, Texas, to get down to the border to stop what he declares as a a threat to the United States. We have some misguided men in Dayton, Ohio. And brothers and sisters, the question comes today as, as the church, because we are men and women who are guided by the truth. We are men and women who are guided by the love of God. We are men and women who are guided by the grace of God because we are people and men and women of goodwill. This is what God is calling us to today in this 21st century to speak love, to speak justice, to, to speak grace, to walk humbly with God. God is calling us to be guided men by the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word today, we thank you, dear God, for Jesus Christ, that he is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, may we live in reality of that truth. 
May we not sugarcoat it. May we live every day with that conviction that he's still the way, that he's still the truth, that he's still the life. We ask all of these things through you, Father, by the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.